something to see. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Project Shadow. How's everybody been doing? Thought about not doing an episode today because, you know, it's Labor Day. And our restaurant's even closed because unlike some places, we respect workers. <clears throat> not saying, but saying. This today is all about celebrating the labor movement. Yeah. Don't really have much for those, but we're not going to do politics today. I thought about it. I really thought about it a lot, but instead we're going to talk about another labor, a labor of love. Yeah. <laughs> One that makes people think that I'm crazy. One that every time I bring it up, I watch people give me a look that is somewhere between, oh man, how have you not been like institutionalized yet? And, oh, Really? You you do that for fun, do you? Uh, okay. And it is actually one of my favorite things to do, and I've actually done it several times in my life. What is this thing that elicits such reactions in people? What makes them think that I'm both crazy and psychotically boring all at the same time? I'm a conlanger. Hello, my name's Charlie, and I build artificial languages. Yeah, I do. And I enjoy it. And I love it. And it's something that I really thoroughly love doing. And so, like, Saturday, which was my day off this week, I sat down and I thought, of all the things in the universe I could do, I could play video games right now, I could watch a movie, I could watch a TV show. I actually did go out several times and play with my dog, so still did that. And she's very happy about it, because we had some fun. The one thing that I decided that I really wanted to do was spend time building Nadi Basha because it's a language that's mentioned in the books that I'm writing and one that's actually very important to the major culture of the setting. And I thought, you know, I've got kind of a lexicon worked out and I've been kind of toying around with some grammar ideas. Why don't I take the day and spend it constructing noun cases, noun classes, and verb conjugations tenses and aspects why don't i do that because that sounds like fun and stop don't turn off the podcast please 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 stop what you're doing don't turn off the podcast don't worry this isn't going to be a grammar lesson i'm not going to go through and talk about all that in crazy detail unless you guys want that and if you do let me know I mean, I probably wouldn't do a very good job at it because there's this guy on YouTube called Artifexian, and if you're not watching him and you're interested in these things or world building in general, you definitely should be checking him out because he deep dives. I mean, he goes all the way in and does like a full video on like each of these little topics, each one in like great detail. And of course, there's also Zidnaf. That's Zidnaf with an X because of course it is. And everything else is spelled like you'd think it would be. Um, also does really good um, things on conlanging over on YouTube. And if you're interested into getting into the deep, 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 oh, glorious well that is uh, 
conlanging and grammar and constructing grammar and lexicons and morphological consistency. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those people. Things like that get me excited. They get me all tingly all over in the inside. And I, I get that that's not right for song. But for me, it's just right. But today, the reason I wanted to talk to you all about this is I think conlangs are really important. And I think they're important for several reasons. Namely, how, they, how and why they come into existence and what they can actually do for both writers and fans. And I think that's very important. <laughs> I, I think they actually supply a deeper relationship to a setting than just reading it or getting into the lore. Like, conlangs are the deepest deep lore that you could ever get on a setting. And some languages tell us more about the cultures that they're a part of than others. So I'm not going to skip him, but I'm not going to spend too much time talking about him because we all know J.R.R. Tolkien, Jer, as we like to call him, as opposed to Gur, you know, the other R.R. Um, he's kind of the granddaddy of this whole conlang thing, right? Because he created several languages for the elves, for the men, for the ancient elves, for the other elves over there, for the troll behind the door, for the little goblin that peeks his head out just once but needed his own language because why not? I mean, Tolkien is kind of the gormenghast of created languages. There's one for everything, and if there's not, he just didn't get around to it and probably has notes somewhere on what that language should be like because he was a philologist, and that's what he did. And I could talk about Tolkien, and we could talk about all the languages that he created from Quinta to Sindarin and all of... But we're not. And we're not just be because, well... If you've ever heard anyone talk about constructed languages, you've probably heard them talk about Tolkien because he is the great grandfather of all fantasy fiction and in a to a certain degree he's the great granddaddy of conlanging. Most of us who found out that this was even a thing did so because we got to an appendix in our an appendix in our copy of Fellowship of the Ring and realized, wait a minute, he did what now? There's what out there? Mm. And then, of course, we got our copy of The Silmarillion and realized that there was so much more that we could dig into. But, like I said, so much has already been said and done and written about him. It's kind of like when you want to talk about you know, certain kinds of horror fiction. It's hard not to mention like Lovecraft or Stephen King or some of those people, but... Honestly, like, I can't talk about vampires without Dracula and Anne Rice, but, yeah, I mean, it's not much I can add to it, because everything's already been said before. And that's kind of true when it comes to Tolkien. Tolkien was a philologist by trade. That's what he taught at school, is here's languages and how languages work. And he had a deep love for language and ended up constructing quite a few for his own world. And that's wonderful. And we probably wouldn't have a lot of the created languages that we do have if he hadn't kind of set an example and set a standard. But two, I think, of the most quintessential conlangs that have affected a lot of fans like me 
came about for very different reasons. And those are the infamous Vulcan and beloved Klingon. And I say it that way because you'll notice that anywhere that you go, you can find a Klingon English dictionary. In fact, I believe even on Duolingo, they have Klingon classes. If you want to learn Klingon, you can do that even on Duolingo, which is fun because you get to learn how to make some fun guttural sounds. Now, these two languages are not like each other, and they show us something very important when it comes to conlanging and language construction and why I'm going to be using them as my main examples. Klingon was created because Gene Roddenberry felt that the Klingons should speak Klingon. The Klingons have always been othered in Star Trek, and when they were going to be reintroduced in the um, motion picture, which I always feel weird saying because it is Star Trek, the motion picture. That is kind of the subtitle of the thing, but it feels weird to say, you know, in Star Trek, the motion picture, it, it just feels weird. So we're going to say Star Trek 1. So in Star Trek 1, when they were introduced, he had decided that they would have their own language, and he hired a gentleman named Mark, named Mark Orkrin, who I've met and is a very interesting fellow in his own right, to, constru- to create the Klingon language. And some of the important things were given to him, notes about their culture and what they're like, and he did not construct a full language. This is important. He constructed the basics of a language and employed some of the cultural data that he was given. So, for example, Klingon does not have a word I, because that sounds like something that they wouldn't do, and built the structures of the language to kind of model the civilization that he thought that they would have, but he only constructed enough words and grammatical rules to cover the dialogue that needed translating for that movie. Unbeknownst to him, they had already filmed a scene on one of, I believe it takes place on one of Vulcan's moons. It might take place on Vulcan itself, but I believe they state that it's on one of the moons of Vulcan. Anyway, with Spock going through his colon arm. This scene was expensive, involved a lot of actors, a lot of costumes, a big set to be erected, and cost a lot of money. And as soon as it was done, Gene Roddenberry said, oh, this is crap because we had them talk in English, and why are these Vulcans talking in English on their homeworld? I would say because there's not around anybody who doesn't speak their language, and so they'd be able to understand each other, and by the magic of storytelling, we should be able to understand them too, which is also why I think we should have been able to understand the Klingons, but that's a whole other story. Um, And went, hey, Mark, can you create a Vulcan language? Now, this Vulcan language differs from the Klingon language in a very distinct way. The language had to be written and contrived in such a way that when they overdubbed, because they didn't have money to reshoot the scene, so when they looped the scene, when they overdubbed the scene, the Vulcan vocabulary had to lip-sync to the original English dialogue. Yeah. And Mark, being a trooper, buckled down, did it, gave them a script, and now when you watch Star Trek One you will see there's Spock on his homeworld surrounded by a bunch of Vulcans, and they're all speaking in what is very clearly overdubbed Vulcan. And not that the lip sync doesn't work very well. It, uh, 
it it stands out as being overdubbed. Like the sound doesn't nestle into the world very well and just kind of lays on top. And uh, yeah, they needed a better sound designer to fix some of the issues that they had in that movie. But here's one of the biggest franchises that the world has ever seen about to head into its heyday. No, Star Trek 1 wasn't a big success, but soon after, we're going to be followed by The Wrath of Khan, which I tried not to scream, but I did kind of say it loudly, and I apologize. But anyway, so The Wrath of Khan is going to take Star Trek from that thing that a whole bunch of people kind of watched in syndication and kind of liked and had developed a cult following around to being something really big. It's eventually going to give us the development of the next generation, which is going to bring about the Star Trek Renaissance, where we're going to get the amazing series of Star Trek The Next Generation, the amazing series of Deep Space Nine, and the Voyager, which happened, and Enterprise, which finally got kind of interesting by the end, but by that time, nobody was watching anymore, so so nobody noticed. But still has my absolute favorite character in all of Star Trek in it. I will fight you. Dr. Flox is the greatest thing ever added to Star Trek. And my heart breaks that we don't have Denobulans yet on Star Trek Discovery. Make me happy, Discovery. Give me a Denobulan. Just one. Even if I just see them in the background and go, oh, look, a Denobulan. Give me a Denobulan in the story. Show me that they're still there. I love them. They're, they are my heart. But lots of reasons. And this isn't an episode about my love for Dr. Flox. We can do that. (laughs) And I might do that. But that's not what we're doing today. So why do we go on to have a full Klingon language and not a full Vulcan language? Well, this is a corporate institution. Klingons were marketable. People like Vulcans. Yeah, there are some people that put the pointy ears on and run around and do things, you know, the whole Vulcan salute and all that. People really get into the Klingons. I know. I used to cosplay Klingon a lot at conventions because it's fun because you get to be loud, boisterous, and drunk all the time. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) And nobody expects anything else of you because you're a Klingon. You should be singing loudly at the top of your lungs, telling very coarse jokes And, well, drinking, because you're a Klingon, and that's what Klingons do. Klingons are marketable. Klingons are exciting. People love Klingons. And, of course, by the time we get to Star Trek VI, he decides to include a lot of Klingon dialogue in the series, as well as the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council quoting Shakespeare. I'm not going to go into some of the semantic problems with that, but, and, of course, the really confusing line that Shakespeare sounds better in the original Klingon, which doesn't make sense at all because unless they're saying that I I would actually like that time travel episode. If they can give me that where Klingon goes back in time, realizes he can't survive in Elizabethan England and decides to become a playwright and then has, I don't know, Christopher Marlowe or whoever your conspiracy theory wants to pick up, help him translate his Klingon poem work back into English so that it can be performed at the Globe Theater, I'd, I'd watch that. It sounds like really weird fanfic, but it's the only way that that sentence makes sense. But they made a full Klingon language, and it's a beautiful language. 
And I, I don't mean like to listen to. It's a very guttural language, but it's a beautiful language because it tells you so much about the Klingons and who the Klingons are. It's like the languages that were made for the elves in the Lord of the Rings. You know, you can't hear someone say, Takpa, Takpe, which is to be or not to be in Klingon, without getting the image in your head of, well, you're kind of a gruff person. You're probably not too nice. I could see you having a couple weapons on you, maybe a sword or two. Like, that that doesn't sound like something your, you know, little fuzzy kitty says. You know? Except for maybe if they've got, you know, furball or something. It sounds, right, like a Klingon should sound. The language has features in it. A lot of honorifics are built into the language, so there are ways to give people honor and dishonor them through how you construct your sentences. That's a very Klingon thing, and really informs our understanding that their culture is built on honor. Hmm. Why didn't we get a Vulcan dictionary? Yeah, part of it's the marketing that nobody cares. And by the way, fans did go to great lengths to construct a Vulcan dictionary, and I have a copy of it, but it's not con- not canonical, and they had to actually construct some grammar rules and some a lot of vocabulary, because it doesn't exist in canon. But why didn't we get that for the Vulcans? It would have been even more interesting to see a Vulcan language and how their insistence on logic and their own internal struggles between emotionalism and logic would have played in to the language. Would it look to anything like Lodgeban, which if you're not in the Conlang thing, Lodgeban is a logical language that was created a while back that is an attempt to actually make a language based on logical rules. Like, it's actually hard to say things that are illogical in Lodgeban in the way that it works. It's, it's, not impossible, but it's difficult. And it's a very interesting project, and you should definitely look it up if that's something you're interested in. But it would have been fascinating to see how they would have constructed a Vulcan language and made it work this way. Because would it be lyrical? I think it would. The, since the original series, the Vulcans have been shown to us as great lovers of music. Spock, starting even in season one, had his lyre and would play music while Okura sang. And this is something that makes its way all throughout the series. And we really could have learned a lot about them. So who created the Klingons? That's kind of the moral of the story that I wanted to get to here. Who created the Klingons? Technically, yes, Gene Roddenberry created the Klingons. Because, well... He had a sergeant named Sergeant Klingon when he was a police officer that was kind of mean to him. And later in life, he decided to write a race of people, changing the spelling and other aspects so that he couldn't get sued and created the Klingons because, yeah, we need a bad guy. So, yeah, I mean, technically, Gene Roddenberry created the Klingons and we can talk about the various authors who added things to the canon about them as far as their death rituals and the way that they react to things, a lot of which comes to us through the next generation, some of the great Worf episodes therein. But I would argue that Mark Orkren did more to create the Klingons than any of the other people, though he doesn't get credited. Because he spent so much time, energy, and effort creating this language for them, which 
embodies every thought that you would expect a Klingon to be able to have, there are things that can't be said in Klingon. When I said takpe takbe, to be or not to be, that actually doesn't mean to be or not to be. That literally means survive or die. That is the question. That's a very different Shakespearean line than to be or not to be. It gets right to the heart of what was what Hamlet was saying in the play. But it's a very different line because the Klingons don't have the verb to be. So they couldn't have that concept. They had to put it in their own language in a way that made sense to them. And so a lot of people have taken things from the Klingon language and artifacts from the Klingon language. The butleth, the sword of honor. That's a very important thing to the culture. It would have to be because it's not just a betleth. Betleth in the original Klingon language means sword of honor. So in the next generation, and whole mythos develops around it to the point where in Deep Space Nine, we actually see it as this almost mystical thing connected to Kalis and the second coming of, you know, the founder of their people. I don't know that that would have happened if it was just called a Klingon sword. I mean, think about that. Would you care as much about the Klingon sword as you do about a Betleth? A sword of honor? I don't think you would. And that really comes into why I think these things are so important. If you want to understand the Klingons, if you're somebody like me who's fascinated by them and loves them very much and who took the time as a kid to get in there and learn the language and be able to speak Klingon. And a friend of mine did this, and we used to actually hold conversations with each other in Klingon, because why wouldn't you? Don't look at me like that. I can see how you just looked. Mm. You don't think I know. Anyway. But yeah, you learn a lot about them by learning the language, and so does the person who writes the series. In my work on Nadi Basha... I was thinking a lot about how the, those people are, how the Nadijil or the Goleni, as they're known in contemporary times in the story, actually are, and how that would affect the story and how that would affect the language. And so it has aspects to it that you wouldn't find if I hadn't really been thinking about that. And so now... There's, when I think about how Joda should react in the story, I understand some of these confinements about her because I understand her language. And in her own mind, even though I'm not writing all of her thoughts in Nadi Basha, I, have, I understand her thoughts are in Nadi Basha. So there are thoughts that she quite literally can't have or wouldn't be constructed in the same way way they would in English and so some of the things that could be expressed in English very easily in her thoughts would be very hard for her to think about in her native tongue. That actually helps me write that character better and since many of the characters in the story have Naribasha as their main language and of course you know Shesudith which is the language of two of the characters in the story is another language that I've spent a lot of time thinking about how it's constructed and how it works. And we'll probably do a full conlang for it as well at some point. 
though I actually have quite a few notes about it so that I can construct Avishai and Khan and how they think and how they interact with the world because we are limited by the language or languages that we speak. It's hard to have a thought if you don't have a word for it. It's really hard to have a thought if your grammar doesn't allow you to construct that thought. It's not something that you really think about, right? And there are aboriginal languages that don't really have numbers in them. And I'm not going to go into which ones because I can't remember the videos that I was watching on this. And hopefully they were accurate and I'm not slandering an entire group of people. But, you know, they conceive of numbers differently because they grew up speaking a language that didn't count the way that we count. Especially the passage of time. Time is something that every language handles a little bit differently. And that really does affect how you think. And I think this will hopefully affect the upcoming James Cameron avatar. I wish he had named it something different. Anyway, the, the James Cameron Blue Smurf People movies that are coming out because they did spend such a wonderful amount of time building the Navi language. And if this is something that you're interested in, while I enjoyed the movie and I really like the giant extended cut, I think it's really the only version of the movie you should watch. Um, I think if you're interested in it, in this topic at all, you should look up some of the stuff that they did with Navi, with the language that they speak because it really tells you a lot about the people and what they're like and how they're able to conceive of the world around them. And a lot of the strife between them and the corporation that is not Waylon yutani even though it should be Waylon yutani And we'll see if it eventually becomes Waylon yutani And you think I'm kidding? There actually has been a lot of people talking about doing an Alien versus Avatar story. That, that's not a joke. That's been a rumor going around Hollywood for a while. Because, you know, Fox. So, we'll see. But, you know, there's a lot to learn there. And I, I advise you just to, you know, even if languages aren't your thing, peruse them. If your favorite story or setting has that, take some time to look at it. Because you'll often find little hidden gems that will make your experience of the fiction deeper. This is one of the great losses of A Song of Ice and Fire is he didn't create either the Valerian or the Dothraki language. Both of those came into being for the show. I do believe he came up with some words and maybe some sentences, but the actual languages themselves were commissioned by HBO and created for HBO, so for use on the show. Those aren't from Gurr. And I'm not faulting him language construction is a very hard thing and really if you are not passionate about it don't start because it, it's crazy it's it's a lot of work and it's not easy work and some of it's kind of drudge, drudgery work but it's kind of like knitting if you like knitting knit if you don't like knitting don't knit you know because a lot of it's the same you're doing the same stitch over and over and over again you know but if you love it, do it. And that's a lot of what conlanging is. But it's something that, you know, kind of breaks my heart when it comes to the Song of Ice and Fire stories. And he may be using them more 
you know, in future books if they ever come out. But, you know, the work that went into creating Dothraki and Valerian is pretty impressive. And it really does teach you a lot more about those cultures and those worlds, even if you don't learn to speak it, even if you don't have the intent of becoming fluent in the languages, just seeing what some of the basic rules are. Because then you get an idea of what governs their thoughts. And it really, for me at least, for the TV show, helps me understand Danny, you know, Daenerys a lot more. Because if she's somebody who spent her entire life speaking Valerian, which operates on these rules, and then learns to speak Dothraki, that operates off of those rules, yeah, you can see how a lot of her personality changed. Because Dothraki opened up some ideas that are not easy to conceive in Valerian. It, it's an interesting thing. And I hope you guys find it interesting too. I, I'm not going to do what my heart often tells me to do, and that's run into a closet somewhere and do nothing but conlanging for days and days and days and months and years on end. I could do that, and I could be very, very happy. I have stories to tell, so I'm still going to tell stories. But, you know, as I start posting stuff about the various languages, I hope you take time to look at them and think about them and what they actually say about the setting and the characters. Because I think there's a wealth of knowledge that we get when we are allowed to get into the minds of the characters in the world, the worlds that we love. And the easiest way to do that is to speak their language, especially if it's not ours. I think it's a very interesting thing. I've learned a lot in my studies of Japanese, because I love Japanese culture, I love Japanese movies, there's a lot of Japanese music I like, a lot of Japanese shows, manga, anime, stuff too. I've learned a lot about Japan by studying the language because it's very different from English and it operates very differently and it's taught me a different way to respect them because it's changed my views of Japan. I'm not saying you have to learn the language, just saying take a look at it. And if you are thinking of getting involved in conlanging, if you are writing a story or developing a world, definitely check out the videos by Artifexian and Zidneft. Um, check out the free um, language construction kit, and that'll get you started. There is one that you can buy that really like dives into the deep details and gets into the nitty-gritty, and there's some good stuff there. But don't spend the $25 until you know you're going to do it, because it's not a cheap book. It may have come down since I last looked. I haven't looked at it in a while, but last time it was like 25 bucks. It's worth it. Don't, don't think it's not worth it, but oh my goodness, it's... It's a thing. And, you know, if you love language, do that. And one of these days, once I get enough done, I may do a bonus episode of this series in Naughty Basha, just for the fun of it. It'll be a bonus episode, don't worry about it, and it'll be short, because, you know, it's a lot of translation work to do. But I think that could be fun. So let me know what you think, um, especially about... If you know a series that has a conlang that is important to you that I didn't mention, because there are a lot of them. It's also kind of like the things that I've always wished existed. Like, I wish we got to see the Fremen language. I, I wish we would have gotten that. Granted, with all the detail that he went into in the world, I think it would not be too difficult to construct one, as we know so much about the Fremen culture. But I wish there was a canonical Fremen language. But... 
he, he did a lot. Anywho, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, do let me know. You can hit me up on social media. You can find a link to all my social media at projectshadow.com. All the places that I am, all listed right there. You can find links to all of it, as well as links to this podcast and all the places that you can listen to this podcast. If you like what I'm doing here and the podcast service that you're listening on or app that you're listening on lets you rate the podcast, please rate, leave a review. It does help more than you know. Like one of the best ways other than knowing someone at Apple to get featured on Apple podcast is to get good ratings because that draws attention to you and then you might get featured and, you know, get a bigger audience. So if you can rate us, please rate. If you like us and you think somebody might like one of our episodes, share it with them. Help me to grow. If you want to help me to grow and continue doing these, no matter what podcast service or app you're using to listen to listen to me, in the show notes, you'll see a link to support on Anchor. Just click that link. You can support at the $1, $5, and $10 levels. You'll see a little message for me, because I'm allowed to give a personalized message now. So there's a little personalized message for me there now. Hey, I still can't change the like levels. So it's $1, $5, and $10 monthly. So if you can help and you can throw some shekels my way, I would really appreciate it. That would help me out a lot. Um, if you want to support more than just a podcast and everything that I do, you can find me over at Patreon. At, I'm C.E. Dorset over on Patreon. You can also find a link to that over at projectshadow.com, and that helps support everything that I do. Um, yeah. And, of course, read the books. Find me on Wattpad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about it. I always feel like I'm forgetting to say something at the end of these episodes. But if I did, I'll say it on the next one. Until then, have the fun. Bye.